welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome in Soccer Morning. Wednesday, we are underway, ready to go. Lots to talk about today, including a United States national team game. Maybe there's not a lot to talk about that out of that game. Maybe if you watched that game last night down in Trinidad and Tobago, you realize there might not be a lot. We're, we're going to talk about it. Charles Bohm is going to join us in a couple of minutes. We'll go over the state of the United States men's national team with our good friend Charlie. Uh, we'll check in, you know, uh, where they sit, four points after two matches, top of the group on goal differential. Are they feeling good? Is Jurgen Klinsmann feeling good right now? Is that, is that where we are? Is there, has there been progress made? Just look at the lineup he set out yesterday and consider what that means about posture and aggressiveness and going for it. Cause I'm not sure, it, I'm not sure it feeds into that. So the United States men's national team goes to Trinidad and Tobago, gets a point in port of, uh, a point in port of Spain. Say that five times fast. They hit the bar a couple of different times, including, uh, Giassi's artist who should have buried that, that, that great cross from Josie Altador. That would have been three points. We'd feel, we'd be feeling a little bit better today. Uh, four points from two matches, as I mentioned, leading group C on goal differential. Trinidad and Tobago also on four points at the moment. Elsewhere in CONCACAF, Mexico stays perfect under their new boss, Juan Carlos Osorio, with a 2-0 win in Honduras. First time Mexico has won in Honduras in 22 years. Tecatito Corona, Jürgen Damm scoring the goals. Honduras' Luis Garrido left that game with a horrific injury. I have not watched the video myself. I have managed to avoid the Garrido injury, and I intend to keep it that way. Do not, under any circumstances, tweet me video of Luis Garrido breaking his leg, because I don't want to see it. Apparently, it's going to take him a year to recover. Canada and El Salvador played to a goalless draw in Group A as well. Costa Rica beating Panama in Panama City 2-1. to A big win for the Ticos there. Jamaica beating Haiti 1-0. Guatemala crushing St. Vincent and the Grenadines 4-0 in Group C. So that puts Guatemala on three points now. Uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, of course, bringing up the rear on zero points. France plays their first match since the Paris terrorist attacks. They lose 2-0 to England at Wembley. That was certainly not the uh, the important thing. The game itself, the goals being scored, the loss for France, n- nobody really cared about that. In fact, most of the attention was on uh, the show Solidarity, the, the English fans in attendance singing La Marseillaise, um, as they, uh, Marseillaise excuse me, uh, ahead of that match. It was uh, quite the scene there at, at Wembley, and uh, hopefully uh, we can move on now and, and not, uh, not that everything's uh, completed or, or done or even addressed for that matter, but we can move into a, a more healing area period for France after uh, the horrific events of Friday night. In addition to that Belgium and Spain match, which had been canceled, Germany-Netherlands also canceled at the last minute. In fact, fans had to be evacuated from the stadium there due to some security concerns. There was a package found. It turned out, I believe, to be innocuous. But alas, with the uh, heightened sense of uh, security that uh, most of Europe and, in fact, the uh, imagine most of the world is feeling at the moment, there were no um, uh, there were no chances taken there. In European qualifiers, Sweden booked their place in the 2016 European Championships with a win over Denmark. Uh, they actually drew 2-2 in the uh, second leg. Zlatan Ibrahimovic scoring twice for Sweden. They win 4-3 on aggregate. Zlatan's comments after the game, quite uh, quite a thing, saying that uh, he, uh, people were making this out to be his retirement. Quote, with the idea that this was supposed to be my retirement, I've pushed their whole country into retirement. There you go. Z- Zlatan being Zlatan, quite the thing. Ukraine scores um, a-, a win over Slovenia to win 3-1 on aggregate. In that matchup, they were always the favorites coming in, and now they, they will also be in France for the 2016 European Championships. Sepp Blatter and Michel Platini have lost their appeals regarding the 90-day provisional bans. Platini will take his case to the court for arbitration, uh, for arbitration of sport, and Blatter could do the same thing. Um, both, uh, both men, uh, 
challenged the uh, the provisional bans handed down by FIFA. Those uh, bans, those uh, those uh, appeals were rejected summarily by the FIFA Ethics Committee. Platini will not be considered by the electoral board to run for president until his case is resolved. He's trying to get that process completed so that he can get his name into the hat, uh, into the ring um, to to run for FIFA president come next uh, next February. Neymar's father claims his son will be forced to leave Spain if the financial situation of the player is not clarified. Neymar leads Barcelona with 11 goals this season. This His father saying that he is very insecure and uneasy in Spain due to the ongoing tax implications. Um, there's some issues revol- uh, resol- revolving around Neymar and his income and certainly some other uh, aspects of his, of his image. Uh, Neymar feels very insecure and uneasy, according to his father. Uh, we are talking about a contract renewal, but we're waiting to resolve some things that concern us, uh, he told Cadena SER, according to Marca. We can have this, uh, we cannot, we can't have this uncertainty with the tax of not knowing if what we're doing is right. We need to know if Spain accepts our situation, situation. It's hard for us because we're receiving many attacks from Spain and Brazil on matters of taxation. Neymar is a media player and we work his image from Brazil. We're talking to everyone to know what to do with this issue because we don't want to be in Spain for two, three, four, five, or ten years and then be caught by surprise by being told our structure is incorrect. That's obviously, Again, about the brand and about his selling his brand and who controls that and where that's done and who who gets the tax revenue from said brand selling. It's uh, kind of boring on that end. But if Neymar has to leave Barcelona, that would be momentous. All right, let's take a break. We'll set this up. We'll talk some U.S. men's national team with our friend Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com and other places. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It is the day after the United States men's national team played a game, which means we have to talk about it. Whether we want to or not, it's kind of an obligation around here uh, to give us some insight into uh, how that game went down in Port of Spain. Charles Bohm from MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, USsoccerplayers.com, and other places joins us now. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Doing well, Jason. Doing well. I was going to say we should play where and where is Charlie Bohm calling us, talking to us from, but uh, I'm not sure. You may, <laughs> you may have found an alcove somewhere. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about last night. I mean, you know, it was interesting. I was asked by a couple of different people. Would you be surprised if the United States loses to Trinidad and Tobago and Port of Spain? And I said, no, which I think means a lot about the state of this team and where they are. Now they didn't lose. But neither did they impress. That's correct. Uh, and, you know, this was um, I, one of the words that I heard a lot in St. Louis uh, after Friday night's match that the win over St. Vincent was professional. Uh, Matt Beasler emphasized it, a professional result. And I think that's what you saw last night. Uh, it wasn't sexy or um, particularly compelling as a spectacle. Um, but when you can uh, post a clean sheet in a qualifier away from home, uh, and you know, take a point home with you, then uh, then that's probably okay. There, there, it wasn't particularly inspiring, but they controlled the tempo for the most part. U.S. had more possession, um, you know, created probably a marginally more chances in the run of play. They were poor in the attacking third, but the first two thirds of the field, they they were all right. And so, uh, at this stage and where this team is, uh, the, the team sort of had the look of a uh, uh, a team that's learning how to walk again. Um, and, you know, given that, uh, I think you have to take it and be happy. And uh, obviously, no bumps on the road to Russia just yet. Yeah, I suppose. But but how low is this bar right now, Charlie? If if we're talking about getting a a point on the road and and not being effective at all in the final third as being okay, I mean, uh, just by the the posture of the team and the nature of that lineup, Klinsman sent a message that hey, we're just here to get a point and and. To me, that kind of uh, that that kind of is I don't know. It says something about his attitude, certainly, and uh, it doesn't doesn't really line up with what we were expecting 
I mean, this has been you know five years at this point, but uh, it doesn't line up what we're expecting from Jurgen Klinsmann. Four years. Well, yeah, but you know, in, in, if you look at it in the in the the wider context of his four plus years in charge, um, you, you know, Jurgen Jurgen is is good in terms of um, sort of the, the, the sketching out the sort of vision of of where he wants things to go or how things could be. When it comes to actually laying out his team, making his selections. His tactics. He's actually been been really supremely pragmatic, um, and to, to to the point that I think it undermines the vision stuff a little bit. But when it comes to World Cup qualifying, he's almost always uh, taken the most uh, practical route. And you know, it, it's hard to criticize given how uh, how mo- mostly smooth the the road to uh, to Brazil was in the last cycle. In this case. Again, given the context of this team, yeah, you know, the, the, the ceiling has been lowered a bit. Uh, the expectations are, are down. And I would hope that he would, uh, be a little alarmed by that. But I think in the short term, it makes the job a little simpler for him. They move forward with four from their first two matches, four points from their first two matches. And, um, I think it's fairly clear that, that this team isn't going to be tested until at least the hexagonal. Uh, and again, this is, uh, a, a problem that's, uh, a uniquely American and Mexican problem here in CONCACAF. It's very difficult to find genuine, uh, competition, uh, that can stand toe to toe with the U.S. without crossing a large ocean. Mm. Yeah, certainly, um, this round is, is not going to be taxing for them, uh, in the lot, or you don't expect it to, but that, that also, to me, maybe gives, Klinsman a little bit more of a free role to do some things. And I suppose you could argue he did against St. Vincent, uh, and less so on the road against Trinidad and Tobago. Are we going to continue? Are we going to see some of that? You think do, I mean, I, I know, uh, like, Narlick Denagby getting into the team and getting a run out in both of these games is a positive sign in that direction. Got a lot of praise from Klinsman last night. Yeah. You know, that's, I think Nagby is probably the most exciting thing about this team at the moment. Um, the idea that he's going to bring something significantly different to the squad, the idea that he can sort of jump the line a bit, given that conservatism I spoke about before with, with Klinsman's selection and his policies, the idea that Nagby, uh, even though he's just made his international debut at age 26, if, if he can sort of get into the reckoning a little bit ahead of schedule, I think there'll be a lot more for people to be excited about regarding this team and a lot more upside to the team right away because he just brings a, a, a relatively rare skill set you know, compared to others in the national team pool. So uh, I, I'm already thinking about um, what he can bring as a starter. I, I think that Klinsman probably is doing the same. Uh, Klinsman typically forces guys to really earn their starting roles with, with months in, in camp and uh, a lot of working up to that point. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Nagby in the starting eleven the next time this team gets together. Okay, I've got Nagby is twenty five. Is he? Did he age a year? And I wasn't aware. Or something? I'm sorry, I may I may be off a year <laughs> okay. on the age. But, uh, well, uh, I mean, regardless, your your point stands that he's in his mid twenties. He's he's in his prime. This isn't a guy that you're working into the system at age twenty or twenty one. I mean, he's he's clearly um he's clearly on the, the the he's going to be hitting the downward part of the curve in in short order. Uh, a couple of years anyway. I mean, you hope he can, he can be part of this team and, and, and round into a contributor before, uh, Russia 2018 and then maybe be on the field for that. Um, if Doug B is the most exciting thing at age 25, and that's something I, I'm, I'm sort of worried about his role. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, in this case, I'm not necessarily going to criticize Klinsman for playing him out of position, even though I think on the wing is out of position for Darlington Nagby. Partly because of the issues he, Klinsman has in, in the, in the center midfield. And one of those issues is that Michael Bradley has to be on the field, or it seems as though he has to be on the field, except he's not playing well. And he didn't play well last night, Charlie. He, he gave the ball up. I mean, with little pressure, bringing the ball upfield, looking for options and passing it right to Trinidad and Tobago defenders. What's wrong with Michael Bradley? Right. Uh, this is tough to unpack. I think there's certainly, you know, you can make the argument that he's, he's due for a, a dip in form at the tail end of a long MLS season, um, with, you know, a, a sort of a back to the future type, uh, environment he's been plucked, plumped back into in, uh, in central midfield because we're again, uh, we, we, we've, we've gone back to the, uh, American equivalent of the Gerard Lampard midfield conundrum. Can Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley play together? How does that work? How do they do it? Can they be better than they were uh, at it together? You know, for long periods, 
in previous years. Um, for now, those are the two choices in central midfield. And until Jurgen changes the, I think the mix, the shape of the team in order to, to fit another body in there, you know, um, put extra numbers in midfield, then it's, it's going to be kind of an awkward situation for both of them because they're not necessarily the ideal partnership. And I think when Bradley's on the field in, in a, a 442 or something similar with alongside Jones, He's very conscious of covering the space that, that Jones's uh, adventurism may leave behind and, um, and vice versa. You know, Jones has got to worry about where he is in relation to, to Bradley in terms of their shape and balance. So, uh, I think, you know, the reason people are, are getting excited about Nagy is that he's, he's, um, a potentially a ready made solution to that issue. But I don't necessarily think in the meantime that, that Bradley's in a position to succeed. But other than that, you know, let's just be honest. He just wasn't good on the ball. He wasn't as clean and, and, um, tidy as he usually is. And it's hard to say exactly why that is. You always know you're going to get the work rate out of him, even if the, 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 the quality isn't quite at his, his, his max. Um, at this point, I guess we could diverge into a long conversation about whether Bradley is, um, is being maximized in terms of his, uh, his form, his, um, abilities, his mentality uh, on his return to MLS. He said some things to the Italian media uh, who were checking back on, on uh, in on him sort of after the move to Roma and everything yeah. from Roma to TFC. And he, he some of his word, quotes suggested that he's uh, concerned himself sort of about um, the effect of his move to MLS. But I think that's a long conversation w- with very little uh, mooring points because it's, it's so subjective. So uh, in the short term, we'll have to see uh, how Bradley's offseason goes. I um, expect he'll get called into January camp and he will try to sort of uh, start pushing the boulder back up the mountain at that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully there's some, in, I'm not going to say improvement there. Again, I've, I've, I've long said that Michael Bradley is one of the best players the United States has. He has to be on the field. But when he does obvious, when he has obvious bad games and makes obvious mistakes like he did last night, it's it's tougher to, to make that argument. If there is a future, and, and you said perhaps Darlington Abbey is a ready-made solution to the problem. Sketch that out for me, Charlie. Well, if you, if you, if you find a spot on the field for Nagby, if he's trusted enough to be in the first 11, uh, I think he instantly allows you to play Bradley and Jones together in a more constructive way, uh, cause you, you can create a three man midfield, uh, central midfield trio there. Um, whether that's a 4-3-3 or 4-5-1 sort of depends on your mentality and the game states and circumstances of your, of your particular match. Um, but that gives, uh, instantly gives sort of a, um, a, a shuttler, um, a number eight, uh, slash eight and a half, if you want to look at it that way, in terms of a player who can attack, who can get into the hole, who can combine with, with strikers, but can also come back and cover ground. Um, Jones will have the, the backing both behind and ahead of him in order to, to have that free role, that sort of wide ranging destroyer role. And then Bradley can sit deeper where he clearly seems more comfortable dictating the tempo of the match. Um, you know, provides defensive stability. With it was still, you know, a range for passing and ability to push into the attack as needed. So I think those that those three, I'd really like to see them get extended minutes together with wide players on either side of them uh, to provide, you know, the width and the balance and the, the movement up in front of them. And Josie Altador is a uh, even though there's certainly a good case to be made that he does better with a strike partner. I think he can also give you that uh, sort of orthodox number nine work uh, alone up top. So I think that's uh, certainly a compelling look that we may see in the future but you know again Klinsman's been pretty wedded to the 4-4-2 for the, the most of the last year or two so if he doesn't want to break that up then he's got to sort of shoehorn Nagby into a uh, a wide midfield role where he's really effectively more like a um, sort of like a, a, a diamond shuttler you know yeah. someone who is going to pinch in and, and you know give space for a, a wide player mm-hmm. you know Klinsman has really shown a preference for getting the width from his fullbacks Rather than sort of orthodox wingers, that's why we haven't seen much of Miguel Ibarra. Um, we, you know, there's he seems to want um, the the overlap to be where the the wide play comes from. So, um, you know, I think Nagby's a smart enough player that he can he can make it work in a number of places. But I'd really like to see him at, at that kind of spearheading the midfield in a four three three. Uh, it remains to be seen if Klinsman makes a, a move in that direction, partly because we don't have a lot. There's not a lot of opportunity here for Klinsman to, to work this stuff out. I mean, uh, this is the open of qualifying two matches in 
we don't see anything again until March, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of the full team and playing playing meaningful matches. Uh, you obviously have the January camp between now and then, and and I guess we'll start looking forward to that January camp. I mean, Nagby's appearance now is a relative surprise because that camp's need ready made for Klinsman to get a look at him. Yeah, and I think it says a lot about uh, his his uh, estimation of Nagby, who he says he's been tracking for three years or thereabouts. Um, and it also suggests that there is something missing from this team, uh, from this player pool, or there's something s- scarce, uh, shall we say. Um, there's a good reason, I think, to um, to include Lee Wen in that conversation also. You know, uh, uh, the U.S. attack that all too often uh, reverts to predictability and stagnancy is, 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 I think, the most concerning sort of meta issue for this team and for Clinton at the moment. You know, he's able to get good defensive performances with a, a range of different guys. Um, although I do think he settled on Cameron and Beasler as his preferred center back partnership for, for the, for the good. Um, that's a, you know, a good balanced partnership there that I think I expect will, will anchor most of qualifying. But, you know, beyond that, um, this team has to create more chances. You know, they have to do better with the ball uh, when they have it. I mean, I think they had it 60% of the time or thereabouts yesterday. But it didn't necessarily translate into clear chances. They only had two shots on goal. Um, you know, what few chances they did carve out were spurned. Uh, Zardes kind of um, had a hard time in his uh, run out up top. Yeah. Um, he seems to. Um, I'm not sure that he's he's rated by Klinsman quite as much up top as he is as a wide option. And um, you know, he he missed the best chance of the game last night. So the the the, the real question here is uh, how does this attack get more dynamic? And uh, the likes of Nagby are the sort of the easiest way to attack it. Um, hey. we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they do in January, though. Yeah, let's let, let's come to Zardis and his, and his uh, start up top because uh, the, the, there have been a lot of calls considering his role with the Galaxy for Zardis to play up top. That's his best position. I mean, that's the argument, right, Charlie? Is that Darlington? Or sorry, um, uh, Jassy Zardis is most comfortable up top. Now we know his finishing can be a little bit wonky, and and he does not make all uh, the best decisions um, all the time, but. You, you still, the logic was put him in his best position, but I don't know that he has the, I don't, maybe it's a, it's a confidence issue. Maybe it's a comfort issue. Maybe it's because he plays in the midfield for the most uh, part with the national team, but he just doesn't seem to have the same sort of, and I'll use the word swagger in the national team up top last night as he, as he would for, for the galaxy. Charlie, did I lose you? I did. I lost Charlie Bob. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, let me see if I can get him back really quick. I'll uh, continue this discussion because there's just, just a lot more. If we can get Charlie back on the air, uh, we'll we'll go ahead and, and and talk about Jossie's artist, certainly about the backline. Charlie, are you are you with me? Hello, I'm, I'm back. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, regardless, and I'll ask this question in a much shorter format because I already laid it out. Why is what what do you think the problem is with Jossie's artist? Because he certainly he's a player we've all said should be playing up top because he's that's his best position, and yet he doesn't. He didn't look comfortable there last night. Yeah, right now he's a player that needs six, seven, eight, nine, ten chances to score one. Um, he, he's just, he's not, he, he hasn't generally been a highly efficient finisher at club level. And, and so I guess we can't be too surprised that he hasn't been a, uh, a particularly efficient finisher at the international level. Uh, I do think he deserves more opportunities up top. Um, with his athleticism and his range, it's so easy, I think, for, for Klinsman to, to, uh, to just plop him out wide. Um, but if he's, you know, if he sees something in that partnership with, with Altador that he wants to explore, then you, you've got to give Zardes more time up top. But yesterday that was, uh, that was a frustrating situation, I think, because of the, the wastefulness. Um, and, uh, in doing so, I think he's, he, he's, his performance boosted the stock of Bobby Wood, who seems to have, um, found his footing alongside Altador more rapidly. Yeah, and I think there's uh, there's probably something to the to the type of player that Bobby Wood is that, that maybe complements Altador a little bit better. I mean, again, to use that Tank Vincent in the Grenadines game as evidence of anything is probably the wrong, wrong way to go, Charlie. But certainly, Zardis and, and Altador did not look to to have the same sort of understanding or or be as com- complementary as as Wood and Altador. Yeah, which is which is interesting, right? Because I was a little dubious. Um... Even that Wood and, and Altador are somewhat similar players, but the, 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 you know, Wood seems to be able to drop into the spaces, be able to use the space that, that Altador's, uh, power 
and his sort of um, you know a, a effect on defenders can create. Uh, again, as you mentioned, that we we do need to 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 rate them against better opposition than St. Vincent and the Grenadines, but there's um, there's a little bit of uh, there's an interesting combination, I will say, of intelligence, uh, work rate, um, and all the sort of striker um, you know, physical capabilities that you want in that Bobby Wood has. Um, that Zardes just you know, isn't quite there. Zardes is maybe a little more of a tweener, a, a more versatile player, but at the moment he may not be quite the tool to 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 fix what's ailing the national team. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the defense uh, a little bit. You you mentioned you know it seems as though Klinsman has settled on on uh, Cameron and Beasler, which is you know interesting considering that we had the 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 Alvarado Brooks experiment uh, or whatever you want to call that during the Gold Cup, and he's uh, he's been uh, he's been uh, he's used Omar Gonzalez, then not used Omar Gonzalez. If this is going to be the way things are for the time being, I mean, how how do we feel about? And again, last night he set out. A back line that had four center uh, central defenders in it. <laughs> yeah, well, he 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 has spoken of the depth of the, the center back pool. He doesn't like what his options are quite as much in terms of specialist wide wide players. So you know he's calling in center backs, and to some extent, uh, it works. As someone pointed out to me over Twitter, you know the, the German team that won the World Cup last summer had uh, generally had four center backs, you know, filling the four defensive positions. So it can be done. And I think with a player like Reem, you know, you have a, a, an intelligent player with the technical ability to adapt to different roles. Uh, but the question is, you know, do, do you, do, is it worthwhile to have the stability of a consistent back four the same way you, it's really sort of essential to have that uh, back two, that central back pairing sort of locked down and figured out. Uh, we saw Klinsman uh, kind of Seemed to, to, to settle on Beasler and, and Omar Gonzalez in that role in, in the, for most of la, the last qualifying cycle. If he's decided that Cameron and Beasler are his guys, he can build everything else around them. Um, but right now it's just been all chop and change in the fullback spots. We've seen Yedlin there. We've seen Orozco last night. Uh, you know, I think it, it, if you, if you're asking from them what you're asking from generally asking in the formation that we discussed earlier with a, a four-four-two, where the where the fullbacks have to have to kind of push on into the attack and give you width. It's a tougher challenge for a center back to adapt to that than it is someone who spends more time there, even a converted midfielder. Uh, and really, you know, we have another conundrum here uh, in terms of uh, Yedlin. You know, another bright young player that Klinsman has invested time and trust in, yet he's playing them out of position more often than not. Yeah. Um, Yedlin was burned on the uh, only goal that St. Vincent scored. Um, given that run out at right back, but to me, if, if he's a right back going forward, you do him a disservice by kind of using him as a midfielder when he really needs his minutes and he's getting his club minutes in the Premier League a, as a fullback. So, um, you know, you, you may see him sort of just go through the growing pains and just have to deal with that. I think, uh, I think the, the problems that creates are, are different ones and, and Jurgen's just going to kind of have to play triage there in terms of what he's more concerned about. On a on a game by game basis. Now we saw, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm trying to remember, I think Clinton only used two of his substitutions last night. You know, he had put on uh, Darlington Nagby and um, was it was it Bobby Wood at, at some point? Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the second sub, but yeah, I know he left one in his pocket. He did leave one in his pocket, uh, and, and so we saw we saw again we saw Darlington Nagby for a second go round. Uh, again, maybe a mild surprise considering he seemed. Uh, uh, he wasn't in the picture at all before this roster came out. Uh, but there are other guys on this, on this team that I, I think we want to see and maybe we missed an opportunity to see against this competition. Um, if there's somebody that you didn't get a chance to, to get a look at right now with this qualifying campaign now underway that you wanted to see maybe get a, a getting some playing time, especially against the minnow in the first match, who is it? Yeah, I was disappointed not to see more of Miguel Ibarra. Uh, and I've said this for a while now. Um, I, I think he he was eminently deserving of the call up back when he was in NASL at Minnesota United. He's done everything that his coach would have wanted him to do. He sought out a move to the higher level. He's gone down to Mexico. He's carved out a bit of playing time here and there. He scored his first goal a, a couple weeks ago. Um, he he brings again. He's he's an outright winger in the sense that that there just aren't many of those at the moment um, that Klinsman has called up. Um, so why not give him an opportunity? Why not let him see what, you know, let's see what he can do out there. 
Um, I think even just putting in more one orthodox wide player like that can change the game for you because it can stretch the field in a given direction. And he's the type of player that I think could set up a, a useful rapport with Altidore, you know, provide this service, um, sort of uh, change the the uh, outlook in terms of the way, you know, opposing defenses um, set out their stall. And yet we're not seeing it. So, you know, again, I'd like the verticality that he brings and the the um, just a little bit of extra, an extra dose of, of flair and skill. But for whatever reason, um, Klinsman has pretty much kept him in his back pocket and uh, really strange to see last night again in, in warm conditions in a tropical environment, not, not using that third sub. Uh, so again, it's another one where we're going to probably go into this break now wondering a little bit what's going on there. Yeah, we, uh, we saw, uh, Jordan Morris called in this team. He ultimately didn't, uh, didn't play, uh, last night. Uh, Alan Gordon was part of this. I mean, again, I, I think, he was the break glass in case of emergency guy. Um, uh, Mixed Discarude on the on the bench as well. Kyle, but Kyle Beckerman, obviously, uh, safety blanket for for Klinsman. Uh, is do you think we're going to see some continuity here? I mean, again, we, we've got some guys that are eventually are going to have to be weaned uh, from the team because they're simply they're not going to make it to, to Russia twenty eighteen in terms of their 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 age and their ability to contribute. But for the time being, for the qualifying campaign for for March in Guatemala, what? What kind of continuity can we see? There's clearly a veteran core that Klinsman trusts that I think he will, you know, ride until he can no longer. Whether it's them not getting senior minutes or or just not performing, uh, you know, and Jermaine Jones remains his sort of on-field avatar. It seems as though, for better and sometimes for worse, given the the matchups and the the other personnel, it seems as though Jermaine Jones is still is still in the lineup. Uh, in pen, uh, whenever he's fit and available. Um, you know, I think he still does for, for all the frustration that, that the Bradley situation has caused all parties. Um, you know, in terms of not necessarily always getting the most out of him. I think Bradley's, is a trusted player for him. Uh, will, you know, will Clint Dempsey come back in? I think eventually he will. Uh, but the question is when and how and, and what's his role when he does come back? You know, what, what was the, the behind the scenes politicking to this, uh, to him missing out on this latest camp. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you'll see, I think Beckerman is, and, and even guys like Alan Gordon, um, clearly they're bringing something to the table that Klinsman values, uh, in terms of the chemistry of the mix overall. Uh, so I don't, you know, January camps are typically a, a, you know, a trial period for domestic guys who are less familiar. Um, but there's so many MLS-based core guys now that he can kind of do what he wants with that camp. So it'll yeah. be something to watch. Probably be a similar setup to this past one. Uh, but uh, you know, Klinsman has to decide uh, how important it is to get more new blood. Is he satisfied with bringing in a couple guys here and there, like Nagby and Yazga, or does he want to sort of advance that process? Do that every time. Turn the page a bit more. You know, trust some unfamiliar faces. He has not necessarily shown a, an inclination to do that in matches that really matter. And so I'm not sure that I expect it to mm. change. But again, January is a, a really crucial period here because with a real sort of a marathon 2016 on the qualifying front, plus Copa America Centenario, there's going to be a need for bodies. January is when you really have to do it. So if you want someone like Dax McCarty or Benny Failhaber um, to, to shoehorn their way in, it's got to happen right away. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting to consider, and I'm trying to go back in my memory to this past January and how he handled that. I, I do recall that there was there were some first choice guys in that team because of their their MLS base now that that wouldn't have been there before. Um, I I don't know. I guess I would prefer him to go uh, to go you know to give as many new guys a chance as possible to get to get seen, uh, Charlie. Um, if there's a as I let you go here in a couple of seconds, if there's a guy that we haven't seen yet at all. Um, especially under Klinsman, or or maybe if you want to even go back, uh, if you want to take a guy who's never seen a call up and maybe deserves one, who is that guy? Yeah, well, uh, you know, Kleshin is certainly one who uh, Sasha Kleshin made a big impression in MLS this season, but uh, simply doesn't seem to be rated by Klinsman. Same thing with Fellhaber. Um, it would be really fun to see what what some of the engine room options these guys would bring and, and you know, some of the, the potential in terms of, of chemistry. Um, and then Dax McCarty as well, another guy who um, has been just metronome steady in MLS play, has anchored the midfield of the, the best team in the league in the regular season and quite possibly an MLS Cup qualifier with the New York Red Bulls. So 
those are the the names that instantly come to mind. Yeah. Um, I personally am am a uh, a little disappointed not to see more of Lee Wen at the moment. Again, a player like Nagby who's bringing a a relatively rare set of qualities um, shows some promise when he does get you know national team minutes, but then doesn't necessarily hasn't gotten an opportunity to kick on from there. Um, so again, you know, I think we're 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 looking at a, a, the decisions of a coach that. He's just not that sure about his player pool, and he's not that yeah. inspired by what he sees. So he sets things up pragmatically. And uh, if we can, if if he can sort of step out of his own shell, there. Speaking of Klinsman here, uh, it'd be fun to see him sort of get, throw more attacking minded minded lineups out there with guys like we're talking about here. But uh, you can't really expect it too much at this point because he's he's really showed his stripes thus far. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to see Ethan Finley. That's a guy. Um... Who uh, hasn't gotten a look yet? Who uh, who certainly people th- imagine deserves a look and and maybe can bring a, a a dynamic element to the attack should he get his chance. It's Charlie Bohm from MLSSoccer.com, Soccer Wire, and U.S. Soccer players go follow him on Twitter, C B O E H M. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff uh, going on at, at soccer. What was the? I just saw something you posted on Soccer Wire that I and I've been meaning to read. Charlie, what's the most recent stuff you got up over there? Yeah, well, the the I threw out a, a a pretty big piece yesterday about uh, Klinsman's remarks, um, even when he produces uh, sort of uh, otherwise boilerplate stuff for uh, for the the uh, federation sponsored media. He manages to sometimes make a kerfuffle um, in one of the video clips released on Sunday. Klinsman gave a pretty passionate defense of the the, the progress made in his eyes by the youth national teams. Really had kind of a nightmare year on balance, so it was really jarring for me to hear Klinsman uh, defend the system that he's here supposedly to um, to shake up and reform. Um, I think the revolution has been institutionalized there a little bit, which is uh, what I wrote about uh, this week, and uh, I would look forward to people reading that and, and interacting a bit. There you go. Go read the piece uh, while why Charlie refutes Klinsman's statements about the. State of the program, the youth national team certainly had a rough year, as Charlie said. Uh, appreciate the time, Charlie Bohm. Uh, always good to talk to you. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, I imagine. All right. Uh, have great shows today, Jay. There goes Charlie Bohm. Good stuff from him. Uh, he's hung in there for us. And uh, now we get to take a break. We get to open up the phone lines. We get to talk to you about the men's national team, about England, France, about games being canceled, about combo bowl qualifying, about whatever. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. I think it's about time to refresh the music around here. I don't know. I mean, I you know, you get locked into a routine, and it's not one. It's not a thing I think about regularly. Got to got to keep track of the soccer news. I got to we got to get guests lined up around here. That's Trevor's job. But we got to do all this stuff. We got to prep. We got to get ready. We got to get the technology to work. We're still on that process, and I just sometimes I forget that the music needs to be refreshed every now and then. So maybe uh, suggestions. If you have musical suggestions for Soccer Morning, go ahead and hit, hit me up on uh, Twitter at DavisJSN or at Soccer Morning. You can also hit us up at Soccer Morning for anything else that is on your mind. And the phone lines are open as well. 646-832-3909. Where do we stand with the U.S. men's national team? How do we feel about that game last night? Again, there are two ways to look at this, I think. I mean, two obvious ways. There are many ways to look at this, but there are two obvious ways. One of them is it's a point on the road in CONCACAF in what is not going to be an, uh, an ultimately difficult group. It's fine. It's the right way to go. It, it's whatever. It's it's fine. Okay? It, it's you, you never look a point in the mouth when you are dealing with CONCACAF, when you're dealing with weird environments and bad fields and steamy conditions in, in the Caribbean. You just don't. You don't do that. You accept that a practical approach, that a pragmatic approach is necessary when you're trying to qualify for a World Cup out of this particular region. It's not that Trinidad and Tobago is a great team. It's not that uh, you shouldn't beat them, you know, in, in, on a neutral venue in a neutral venue somewhere with all things being equal. But 
this is okay. The other way to look at it is that this is not good, that this doesn't show progress, that coming out of a bad summer and with everything else that's going on around this team, for Klinsman to set out what essentially was a back six and uh, only commit a couple of guys to the attack and, and et cetera, it's, d- just doesn't show any sort of ambition, and that's a problem. 717, you're on the air. Hi, this is Patrick in Clemson. What's going on, Patrick, down in Clemson? How are you, how are your boys doing? Uh, all the boys are doing well. Uh, I mean, gosh, campus is pretty, pretty pumped about the football team, obviously. But uh, yeah. what I was calling about was uh, the, the soccer team, actually. One thing that uh, I haven't heard you mention the last couple of days is the uh, uh, the NCAA College Cup, which uh, just had the final bracket release. Yeah, uh, yeah. Monday. Um, anyway, I just wanted to call to see if you had it. Do you have taken a look at that? If you had any thoughts, I mean, it's something that's kind of been lost in the shuffle. Of I have, the, I, I have not. I, I've seen some things on my twitters about it. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, some of the rankings, uh, some of the seedings come out. Uh, it looks like, uh, where's where's Klinsman in this field right now? Clemson's uh, number two overall seed. So they were they they'll have a uh, buy into where are they? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm looking at an old, maybe I'm looking at an old bracket here. I seem to be looking at an old bracket. Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, we have a buy, and then we play the winner of Elon or Winthrop. Okay, uh, Elon I and mean, Winthrop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, at, at this point. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Clemson's, ha- uh, Clemson's having a good year. The, the, the prop, here's the problem with college soccer. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm not, this is not, this is not going to be, I'm not trying to hate on college soccer. It's got a place. No, I mean, is, I, I've got plenty of gripes with it too. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, it, it's a, it's a particular area of American soccer that is somewhat inaccessible to the average soccer fan. But for the people who are interested, it's one of the more fascinating ways we do this thing. Here they go. I just didn't scroll down far enough, uh, Patrick. My apologies. So, yeah. Uh, they right. play on the 22nd against the winner of Elon and Winthrop, who play tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Um, it's weird. I mean, it is. For, a, for Even for a soccer fan, it's weird. I, I, I kind of equate it to college baseball. Baseball fans who love the Red Sox or the Yankees or, or the, the Tigers or the Cubs or, or the Braves or whoever are into their teams. They're into their teams minor league systems they know who their prospects are they know who uh, you know they they know uh, who's on the trading block and and they, they they talk about salaries and free agency and all that stuff and they know baseball and they know pro baseball but if you ask them okay who's the best college uh, baseball team they have no idea none and you say okay well who's going to you know who's the best college prospect i have no idea unless that guy is a target because you're the top pick in the draft or something you're just not going to have a, an understanding. And college baseball has got some weird things about it too. They, we, you know, the metal bat situation and everything else that goes with that. And I think college soccer kind of gets relegated to that area where it's just not, it's, it's just different. It doesn't have the cachet of college football or, or college basketball, certainly the history of those sports. So it's, it doesn't inject itself into our, our sports consciousness on its own, wholly contained is like, you know, college football is its own thing. It doesn't have to be about pro football and feeding pro football. It's just, it just is that thing. And for you, that's the way college soccer is. But for a lot of people, they just can't get their heads around it. And, and it means that we have difficulty here trying to balance out how much to cover it, Patrick. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of nice. I'm happy with college soccer, you know, especially <laughs> my team's uh, doing really well this year. Um, but. Yeah, it is kind of in that weird area where it's like it's it's here for the people that follow it, and that's kind of it. Yeah, you know, and, and I, last night, yeah. so last night, Patrick, um, I watched the United States play Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, I almost fell asleep a couple times. I managed to stay awake. Uh, I did some. I was doing some writing, so I flip on Sports Center on uh, on on, e- on ESPN, and they had just shown. Georgetown and Maryland playing some basketball. Now I happen to be in the D.C. area, so there's some some interest for me there, although I don't have any connection to Georgetown and or Maryland. Uh, but after that that game, which turned out to be a great game, and Maryland won, Scott Van Pelt, who is a Maryland alum, who is the host of the Midnight Sports Center that they've turned into this whole thing about him, did his show from the floor at the Comcast Center 
in College Park, Maryland. After that, that was his thing. He had, uh, you know, he had the the uh, Mellow Trimble, the best player from Maryland, and he had Grievous Vasquez, who was a former great pair of player from Maryland, the coach, and all these things. He's doing all this stuff, and I, I sort of joked, you know, I, I maybe I can do a game from. Somebody said you should do a game from uh, or do a soccer morning from Maryland. I yeah, said, that was I, me actually. Yeah, oh, was that you? <laughs> okay, well there you go, because you're the college yeah. soccer guy that's in my timeline, and you said let go do, and and you know if they let me on the field after a match, hey, maybe that'd be fun, but. You know, again, there's um there's a national relevance to Maryland. This is true. I mean, soccer obviously has to claw its way to relevance every in every area, pro and college and everything else. But there's a, a national relevance to Georgetown, Maryland that is difficult for college soccer to get. And and as we continually talk about how the development path of the United of the American player is going to change and is changing based on professional investment, it makes you wonder where college soccer's place ultimately is. Yeah, yeah. I called in a couple times and had that kind of conversation with you. It's it really is hard to see how it gets out of this nebulous area, and you know, well, it seems like it's. And we've talked about it too. I know, I I know, you and I have talked about. First of all, change the rules, line the rules up with FIFA. Number two, number one, I it makes me so sick to go out there and have not have stoppage time, especially that changes the complexion of the end of the game so much that I, I, it boggles my head yeah, there's, how they don't have look, that at the very least. There's that. There's this unlimited substitutions. Please stop with that nonsense. Stop with unlimited no, substitutions. I mean, even if they, what is it, does the USL have like six substitutions or something like that? Even if it was that. Yes, right. Uh, yeah. The fact that, it, that if you make a sub, it's final, that would be so much better yes yes that's that's what it is a player comes if, he, if the player is in the game and he comes out of the game he's done that's how soccer works this yeah. is not basketball it is not go to the scorers table and check in so you need to give your best player a breather it doesn't that's not soccer to me that's not this no. sport that's that's something and that's it a bastard really decision. it's not really doing those players any favors you know if they're yeah. trying to get to MLS or get to some pro contract because, you know, that's not really giving them the same type of game experience that a program anywhere is going to. I mean, it's the only place in the world you really see that kind of substitution, so... Yep. Uh, all right, Patrick. I got to run. I got other people waiting. I appreciate the phone call. College soccer. Right. Uh, good luck to Clemson. They are number two uh, seed in the tournament. And, and again, the other thing about college soccer, they need to figure out a way to play year round or at least throughout the entire scholastic, se- uh, scholastic year. Just kind of stretch that thing out. The, the season is too short. 810, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, Brendan from Irvine? What's going on, Brendan? Hey, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not college soccer talker. Uh, I didn't call on that, but uh, I watched a couple games this year. Usually, dumb a couple Michigan games, Wake Forest, and they ended up being entertaining. It was uh, really, really entertaining. But um, yeah, I was just calling Clemson. I mean, uh, it just seems. I mean, we competed that horse, but you know, uh, we got we got guys who you know you would think you know we finally get a, a Cameron Beasley pairing, which you know I think we've been clamoring for for a long time and oh it, it works out fantastic and then we got Miguel Ibarra who, who makes a move you know from second division to league MX scores a goal three weeks ago and he gets no playing time and he's a true winger I mean you know that was one one of the positions you know we were weak at as his fullback and winger we get a true winger uh you, you know he's kind of he, he always wants to find a player that's kind of fit in there we got Yedlin and Johnson there who are kind yeah. of our, our true fullbacks rather than uh, you know, a, a true midfielder, a true ringer that, you know, could help out an attack with, you know, uh, a system with two forwards. So it just seems to me like, you know, no matter, you know, what kind of position a player puts themselves in, um, you know, Clemson's not going to recognize that. And, and <laughs> I, I can definitely see how it's getting frustrated for the player. And maybe that's why we have a little bit of a lack of performance. Maybe that's maybe. why some of these players are out of whack like a Bradley. Yeah. And look, look, I, I think that. Uh, you know, I don't think that Jurgen Klinsmann is stupid about soccer. This isn't him just not understanding how to put his team out, you know, how to put a team out there. He is, I, I tend to think that, uh, I tend to believe he overthinks these situations a little bit sometimes, uh, probably more often than not. And he does, I think he does want to challenge players and he does imagine that the skill set certain guys have is better suited for other positions rather than their natural or rather than their club positions. I have no problem with Fabian Johnson playing on the wing. That's not a problem for me. Um, no. Yeah, he's no. not a, he's not a, he's not a, uh, you know, he's not going to put his boots on the chalk. He's not going to be that guy. 
but you you that makes sense. There's a there's a reason to play Fabian Johnson there. Certainly dynamic. Uh, and and as we talked about with Charlie Bohm, looking for your your width from your overlapping fullbacks is sort of the way Klinsman has set up this team. Now last night was a different story. You got Tim Ream and uh, Michael Orozco. You're not getting your your width out of those guys, but. Um, and maybe that was capitulation, but it was what it was on the road in CONCACAF. Generally speaking, he plays guys who, who are going to overlap. Uh, DeAndre Dutton's not a winger. He's not. Uh, he's a fast guy. And, and, you know, maybe Miguel Barra brings that element to the team. But I, again, I think Klinsman is, I, I think Klinsman just forgets about position when he puts his teams together. And, and I don't think he, I think he sees guys as players rather than as, a center back or a midfielder or a, or a fullback or a what, what, or a forward. He just sees players and then thinks that they can just be thrown into whatever position he needs them for and their skill sets will somehow magically come to bear in those spots. And, and again, I don't think it's naivety. I think it's Klinsman overthinking things. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, and I, I won't go longer on this, but I just say, you know, if you look at, uh, I think Johnson in midfield, obviously that's, that's fine. And, um, you know, but it's like, hey, Giassi's not doing that well in midfield. Um, let's, let's keep him as a sub, as a striker to come off of the bench if there's not a position for him, which is fine. We have a bar on the bench and we don't know what he looks like in training. So maybe, you know, he, he's not there, but I just worries me. Maybe Klinsman's just saying, hey, look at my player pool. This isn't, isn't at a level that I want it to be at. So I'm just going to put these guys wherever, you know, succeed or not. But the one thing that does irk me is if you look at, you know, DeAndre Yedlin's playing week after week in the Premier League starting, yeah, it's for Sunderland, but I mean, that's an incredible, you know, feat for him, you know, coming up from, you know, Sounders and, and going there, and then he gets put in, you know, at a right wing position and, you know, has some some errors, so it just seems it's like, man, you, you can't win with this guy, but uh, you know, that's how it's going to be, so I just, you know, that, that's one thing where it's like, man, I would really like to see DeAndre Yedlin just have that spot locked down on the national team. Uh, as he does on on the club level, yeah. you know, for the time being. But uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. All right, appreciate the phone call. Thanks a lot, man. There Take goes uh, Brendan up out in Irvine. Let's uh, let's see who we got here. Nine one seven. You've been patient. Who's this? Jason, what's up? It's Bill from Rockland. What's going on, Bill? I have like uh, four or five topics I could throw at you because uh, the three days we missed last week. Oh, <laughs> I gotta uh, catch up. It's like my homework that I missed. I gotta I gotta get uh, I gotta catch up with the rest of the class. Go ahead, Bill. I know you talked about this. I just wanted, you talked about the Cosmos one in the NASL, right? Yeah, I did. I talked about it here a little bit. I talked about it on, uh, on, obviously not everybody can hear the satellite radio show, but I talked about it, uh, pretty in depth there. In fact, we, uh, we interviewed, uh, we had Neil Morris, uh, who covers NASL to talk about, uh, talk about that win and, and, and what it means and, uh, you know, what they do now with, with Raul and, and Santa leaving. I tried calling you Monday night. Because I think Jared would get more of a kick out of this than you would. But uh, what do you think the chances are? Is it closer or further away from them buying the Red Bulls now? I don't see that as a legitimate thing ever. I think I don't know that that comes. I don't know that anything happening now changes the odds of that. I think the odds of that are, uh, you know, a couple billion to one at this point, Bill. I, I just I, I think that the Cosmos are committed to their program, to their idea of what they want to be. And they think they, I think they believe, they really do believe that the NASL is the place for that. Buying the Rebels does nothing for them. I just, I just think NASL, the second division, they can't be in the second division. This is one of the, the biggest names in American soccer is the Cosmos. I had people over from Ireland talking about him. I mean, people talk about this team all no, over I, the world. No, I, 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 I know that. In the second division. I'd like to see some action, and I'm sure they've done this, and, and maybe, you know, it's all proprietary or whatever, but I would love to see actual market research and to, to see whether or not American soccer fans, and because who's the, who's the, the, the demographic we're always talking about, Bill, when it comes to soccer, right? 18 to 34, 18 to 34. Uh, soccer's growing in popularity with that group. I mean, e- e- even sometimes we talk about the kids that are under 18 because soccer is the most popular sport with them and it's a sport of the, you know, that's why it's a sport of the future. That's why more investment's going to come to the game. I'd love to know if, especially in that 18 to 34 demographic, people are really aware of the cosmos. No, I, I don't mean like, I, I don't mean like, um, you know, uh, have heard of them. But, but maybe are aware of who they are, what they were, and maybe, maybe even heard of, maybe just heard of them. Maybe that is something to, to, to measure because, and I'm talking about just the casual 
average soccer fan. I'm not talking about a guy who listens to this show every single day like you do. I'm not talking about a guy who is, you know, mining, uh, mining new statistics online or on Twitter talking about soccer 24 hours a day. I'm talking about the, the person who flips around the television and says, Oh, there's a soccer game on. I'll watch this. Does that person know who the Cosmos are? Do they? I don't know. I want, I wonder what their jersey sales are like. Yeah, I mean, that's a good yeah, question, I think too. That's a, a big, uh, big way to, to uh, figure that out. And I just wanted to say, too, about last night's game. That was a, a last-minute thing, then putting that on NBC. Um, I, feel, I watched it. I just went through the channels, and it wasn't even listed as a game being on. I just happened to find it, and it's great that it was on. But that was a last-minute thing, then throwing it on NBC last night. The uh, which which one are we talking about? Sorry, I'm spaced for a the second. The U.S. game last night. Sorry, oh, I'm all over the place. The NBC the U.S. game last night on NBC Universal. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what their I, schedule is. I mean, I I I wasn't aware of that channel at all until the U20s came around. Yeah, because it was a last minute thing. Because I I looked earlier trying to find it and it wasn't there, and then I just happened to notice it somewhere. It was going to be on that channel. I looked it up, and they weren't listed as playing, but the game was on. So it was a last minute thing. I don't know who pulled the strings to, to get that, but that was great being able to watch that last night. Yeah, and uh, actually, I watched the Mexico Honduras game ahead of that one, and it was uh, Andres Cantor on the call for them. So who I enjoy, um, you know, I'm, 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 my Spanish is still developing, so I'm not understanding everything necessarily, but I enjoy Andres Cantor. I got anything else, Bill? We run through your list of topics. I'll throw out one more thing if you give me a second. You got it. Go ahead. Um. The playoffs starting on Sunday. Do you think that the away teams take advantage of this away goal? I, I don't like. I, I see too many teams. It seems like they're happy with a tie in this first leg. Yeah. I think for New York and Dallas, we have to win this game. You have to win one nothing, even two nothing. You know, if you come out of that game a zero zero, I think Columbus is favored going into the second round now, hmm. and I think it goes for Portland also. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, certainly for Portland, it's it, the way that it worked out in the last round against Vancouver. They didn't, they weren't able to score at home, but they kept Vancouver off the score. And Vancouver didn't want any, they really didn't want anything to do with opening it up and, and risking giving up a goal to Portland in the Portland leg. They, they sat back, they absorbed pressure, they got away with a goalless draw. But I always thought that that actually benefited the Timbers in the end. And it, sure enough, the Timbers found the goal first in Vancouver and it was basically over because Vancouver's got to chase two goals now. So I, I that was the go ahead. that was the game that really I mean stood out to me because Portland just came off for that incredible game. Vancouver had to beat them in that first game. They had to score a goal. And coming out zero zero, that was a hundred percent in Portland's favor. Portland won that series at home with a zero zero draw. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so, but I, I don't know, man. If you're if you're Jesse Marsh if if you're I mean if you're if you're uh, Oscar Pereja, can you really I mean maybe maybe Dallas will I don't know New York just plays their game I don't know that they have too much of a different setting Bill but I I I don't know that as a head coach you can justify you know going for it on the road and and risking going home being down because then I mean there's just a lot of pressure I think because you have that it, it, it just this is just mentality. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, Bill, but this, the mentality is, well, I've got, uh, I've got another 90 minutes. Whatever happens tonight, whatever happens away from home where I'm already a little uncomfortable, I've got another 90 minutes back at my place. I'll trust my team. We'll sit back. We won't really open it up. We'll, we'll be smart about this. We'll play pragmatic soccer because I trust my team to get it done at home. I think that's always the mindset. I think we have to change that mindset. I would love to see them go after this game this weekend. You know, come back, have a one nothing lead going into that home game. It would make sure, I think it makes a world of difference. And I don't think we realize how important that away goal is. And I'm worried that they may do, like you just said, sit back and say, Hey, we got a second 90 at home. If we're coming back a draw, we're doing good. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think if we come back a draw, we're behind. You know, because very easy. Columbus can score. We know that. That's it's a no brainer. Yeah, what, what, I think we got to go after a goal this first way. It, it, Bill, it, it might it might be one of these uh, it might be one of these ties where I mean we we might see a goalless. I don't think so, but we might see a goalless drawing in Columbus, especially if the Red Bulls try to shut them down and clog up the midfield and make it tough. And and obviously Columbus is dangerous on the wings. You got to account for all that. We could see a goalless draw in Columbus, and then something like four three back in the Red Bull Arena. I mean, it could be like that. <laughs> 
I'll tell you, if, I, if it's a goalless draw, Columbus has got the advantage coming home. All right. I appreciate the call, Bill. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Jason. I'm glad we could work through the list. All of those things I missed. Let's go to uh, 347. I'm guessing this is this is Aaron. Am I right? Who? Who is this? Oh, it's, it's Eddie, Eddie in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. You guys got the same uh, area code. That's my problem because we're not screening right now. Eddie, how you feeling? I'm I'm feeling inspired uh, thanks to Bill and Brooklyn. I figured it out. What's that? Um, the away goal rule should only count for the higher seed. Okay. Meaning that uh, way. Go ahead. Yeah, so let's say so he was talking about if if the as the rebels are they go back to, back to Rebel Arena zero zero that Columbus has the advantage. Well then in that instance now Columbus doesn't have the away goal rule. So if they tie one one it goes to extra time. They don't get to they don't get to advance because they have the away goal because they're the lower seed. Uh-huh. So it adds importance to the regular season now too. That's interesting. So uh essentially you're 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 putting uh you're giving the Red Bulls an incentive incentive to go to Columbus try to find goals. Exactly. Because now they would have they would have that to their advantage. Yeah, that's I I, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd have to think that through a little bit more. But it sounds it sounds intriguing. I mean, the, the problem with the away goals rule, and this is true of like the golden goal uh, as well. I mean, when we back when we back back when the golden goal was a rule, the problem was it was again it's it sort of it, it's counterintuitive. You think oh one goal wins the game. All you got to do it's sudden death. Go down and find the goal. But the nature of soccer is you're always consider you're always thinking about consolidating your defensive structure and making sure the other team doesn't score first, which means now everybody's reacting instead of being proactive. Because if if I go forward and I leave space in behind, then they're gonna find the 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 golden goal. They're gonna beat us. And the same thing goes with the away goals rule. It's so it becomes so important that now we're guarding against it. It's it's I mean it even you even it even gives Columbus reason not to be proactive and try to play their game at home against the Red Bulls in that first leg when you would think that because of the way these two teams play we could have some real fun soccer but no wait the crew don't want to give up you know they don't want to give up an away goal and have to go back to Red Bull Arena and have to overcome that deficit and that's the thing though so it's the Rebels will have the incentive to score because they know I right, say it finishes one one as opposed to nothing nothing now they know that any draw of any kind, they're going to advance at home, that they don't even have to win the game because if it finishes 2-2, yeah, under the away goals rule, Columbus will go through 3-3 on aggregate. They got more of the away goals, but no, those don't count. The only one that counts is the Rebels' one away goal. Yeah. So they advance with the 3-3 aggregate scoring less away goals. Why? You know, because they're the higher seed. They earned it more. So now you're adding incentive to the regular season. My main thing is trying to add incentive to the regular. No, season. I know, I know, I know. It was up to me. I know you hate that. If it was up to me, honestly, it, it, it should it should be the way Liga MX does it, where higher seed advances. Period. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think that's probably something MLS should look at in the future. Is the higher seed advances on a on a draw? Give that lower seed reason to open it up and go at the higher seed. You know, trying to score more goals rather than trying to match. Uh, because when you try to when you try to match, you're you know again. I mean. The, the instinct, especially in American soccer, which has had this, uh, cultural imposition of, of English soccer for so long, is the, the, the instinct is let's, 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 let's defend first. And then it becomes, well, let's defend first and then go find our goal. Well, now it's just defend because you're more concerned about that, not making a mistake, shutting things down than you are about trying to get the ball forward. You know, you, you have guys who are, are reticent to even, try to get forward and find the goal, you end up with a striker who's got to do it all by himself. I I think that one of the other things to consider, Eddie, uh, is despite the fact that your idea makes a lot of sense, is the, there's an issue of, co- of the complexity of all of this. I mean, I, I've had a lot of people say, uh, how do you explain away goals or aggregate or um you know the the re the way that the playoffs work the way that the mls playoff playoffs work and the tiebreakers how do you explain that to the to the layman and and there's there's certainly something to be considered there man forget those people it's <laughs> your five minutes like look they're the better team they finish higher in the regular season if they score away from home it matters more than the other team okay now they're playing soccer all that's right. it simple as that no, i like it i, I mean like it. you know honestly I, I still like i said i'm, I'm a huge proponent of the higher seat that's what i think the league of mx playoffs are always far more entertaining than MLS playoffs, only simply because, I mean, not only for the cultural differences, but there's a lot of craziness that goes on because the lower seed, the eight, seven seeds, they go after it knowing that, look, man, we're going to have to win this game because draws right. aren't going to do us any good. Yep. And you see a lot of crazy stuff happen. Very rarely do you see a, a boring, you know, Houston Dynamo sporting Kansas City like scoreless draw. You know, there's, there's always some enthralling soccer being played, but it, it, it's, 
it's still got to come down to make the regular season count. And this is like the best way I could think of right now off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you. I mean, and again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, I, I want MLS to, to, to lock into something so we could get some rhythm here as a, as a soccer country, as a, as a fan base that likes MLS, something that we can, uh, you know, I know that MLS, uh, that I know that Major League Baseball and NFL and maybe even the NBA have tweaked things over the years, but not like MLS has. MLS has changed their structure so much. I just want some continuity, but at the same time, you do realize there are some flaws in the system. Well, yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen when you have playoffs in a sport that really, you know, it's, it's, it's not really made for it. I would like the way if they did it like after the Belgium League. I think they have like uh, a table afterwards. Like they, teams get uh, wielded down to a table. So it'll be like an Eastern Conference table of like four or five teams and then maybe like a round robin kind of thing. And then the best team from that table advances to the final against the other team from the other table. But that's going to take away that, that, uh, that sugar rush excitement that American soccer, that American sports fans like. It has to be like, yeah. like everybody likes March Madness because it's like really exciting. Like the quality of basketball is absolute trash, but it's exciting. And that's what people want. So yeah, as long as you look for excitement, I'm not sure how you're going to be able to find continuity. Because the one for MLS, the one thing that they always do is they like to adapt and change to, you know, as society goes along with it. So I give them credit for that. But as long as they're looking for excitement, I find it hard to find something that's really to stick. Okay. Appreciate the phone call, Eddie. Good stuff, man. All right. Well, quick question. Yeah. Um, how many points does Fort Henry Pinto have with Honduras right now? <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, is it zero? I think it's zero. Zero, yeah, yeah. And how many points does uh, Costa Rica have? Um, uh, 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 six. They have six. Six. They have yes. six. Yes, that's right. Six is more than zero, right? Six is yeah. more than. Look, I, I know you've got this axe to grind. I think you. I, I mean, you want to use this forum that you're more than welcome to. It's part of why we we are here. Uh, obviously, you know, obviously there's some talent differences between Costa Rica and Honduras. Obviously. Obviously, but yet that was never pointed at when we were struggling. Okay, it All was right. it was pink though. So I'm saying like that narrative. My my problem, my beef was with people who had no idea what they were talking about, trying to comment about my team, and people who get paid to talk about my team having no idea what they're talking about using that narrative. And this is me just kind of like sticking it to them every time it happened. Like okay. it, it was that was never that should have never been the narrative. Okay, I, I'm with you, Eddie. I'm, I'm with you. Obviously, things are going well for the Ticos right now. In the fourth round, and not so well for the Contracho. So uh, it's it is what it is. Eddie, appreciate the call, man. All right, All right because Eddie in Brooklyn uh, talking some uh, some soccer as we do around here. Imagine that. I just want to get this in. Our friend Bo Durr, uh, noted soccer writer, author of uh, many good books, including uh, Long Range Goals on MLS. Uh, that that college soccer discussion that we have with Patrick. I wish college soccer would play a fall season under current rules, except the clock. Uh, which is the what the clock stops, right? Just run the run the clock, run it, run it up. Just fix the clock. But under current rules, which is unlimited substitutions and some of those other things, and then spring games under FIFA rules. That's interesting. I don't mind using a lot of players in college soccer uh, because players are otherwise idled. But some limit, please. Right? Okay. So essentially, what what Bo is saying, look, is you don't want to eliminate the possibility for more kids to play. You don't want to eliminate the the opportunities, but. We do need to cut back on the complete ridiculous nature of the substitutions in college soccer. There you go. All right. That's going to do it for a Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much to Charlie Bohm for his appearance. Uh, good stuff from him. Go follow him on Twitter at CBOEHM. Thanks to everybody who called. Good calls today. You guys are that, that, that is a solid, solid lineup of callers. And we'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk more soccer on Soccer Morning. See you then. Did my invitations disappear?